to Freedom to Choose, brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, giving hope to people caught in the devastation of addiction. In this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God, Rich Kallenberg shares 10 messages about God who loves you more than you can imagine. A God that wants you to understand Him. And yes, a God that welcomes your difficult questions about Himself and the way He runs His universe. Rich found freedom 18 years ago from his out-of-control life of drug addiction and alcoholism when God found him. Break free from the chains that may bind you or your loved ones. Now here's Rich on Freedom to Choose. Is God going to take a bunch of creatures like us who are broken and damaged and scare us into submission? Let's look. This is a uh, keynote address by a gentleman named Alexander Calamaros. Okay? And I want to read some of his keynote address... Because before I came to God, this is exactly what I thought of God. And so I couldn't put it any better. I don't know his theology. I'm not really interested in that right now. All I'm interested in is the picture he describes of God right here. And I think you will be amazed. But this is why I could not come to Christ. is because this is what I believed. And he puts it so Crystal clear, I couldn't put it any better. Now, this, this, is a, this keynote address was delivered at the Orthodox Youth, Con- Youth Conference in Seattle, Washington in 1980. Here's what he says. We hate God. That is why we ignore him. Overlooking him as if we did not see him and pretending to be atheists. You know, anybody ask me, I would say I was an atheist. But when I was laying in bed at four in the morning, high on cocaine and my heart about ready to blow out of my chest, I would make a deal with God. Get me through this night. I won't do it again. What happened? Next day, same thing. In reality, we consider him our enemy par excellence. Our negation is our vengeance. Our atheism is our revenge. In other words, we will just tell God, talk to the hand. We don't believe in him. We'll just say that. That's our revenge. But why do men hate God? They hate him not only because their deeds are dark while God is light, but also because they consider him a menace, as an imminent and eternal danger, as an adversary in court, as an opponent in law, as a public prosecutor, and an eternal persecutor. To them, God is no more the almighty physician who came to save them from illness and death, but rather a cruel judge and a vengeful inquisitor, whom we know very well, but whom we hate with all our heart, exactly as the demons do. And of course, James says that, doesn't he? You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And the Good News Bible puts it this way. Do you believe that there is only one God? Good. The demons also believe and tremble with fear. If you would have asked the builders of the Tower of Babel, don't you believe in God? 
They would have said, that's why we're building the tower. We believe in him, but we're scared to death of him. Even those who try hard to save themselves from the wrath of God cannot really love him. They love only themselves, trying to escape God's vengeance and to achieve eternal bliss by managing to please this fearsome and extremely dangerous creator. Who can love a torturer? What is torture? Torture is the practice or act of deliberately inflicting severe physical pain and possible injury on someone. Reasons for tortures can include punishment, revenge, political re-education, deterrence, interrogation, or coercion of the victim or a third party, or simply the sadistic gratification of those carrying out or observing the torture. We're going to get real graphic here for a second, but there is a bunch of good news coming. I wanted to share one torture instrument with you because it's very close to the picture of what some people have painted of God. I wanted to share this one with you, and I know you're going to cringe, and I really debated on whether putting it in here, but here we are. There it is. The brazen bull was a hollow brass statue crafted to resemble a real bull. Victims were placed inside, usually with their tongues cut out first. The door was shut, sealing them in. Fires would then be lit around the bowl. As the victim succumbed to the searing heat inside, he would thrash about and scream in agony. The movements, sounds, muted by the bull's mass, made the apparatus appear alive. The sounds inside like those of a real bull. This effect created additional amusement for the audience and served the added benefit of dis distancing them from the brutality of the torture since they couldn't directly see the victim. Legend has it that this device was invented by a Greek named Perillus for a tyrant named Phalaris of Agrinitum. Expecting a handsome reward for his creativity, Perillus instead became the first person placed inside the brazen bull. That is interesting, isn't it? But it's also very hard to digest, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it's, it's amazing to me the capability of what human beings can do to one another. It's amazing to me. Would you want to torment your worst enemy for a trillion years? Your worst enemy? And yet we've painted a picture of God that he will do this to his children. Have you heard of this picture? So what's the truth? I mean, I can just imagine, and I like to, in my mind, think of things that, you know, object lessons. Can you imagine me on my knees proposing to Susan? And I say, Susan, would you marry me? So then I say, well, let's see. What if I slap you around a little bit? Then would you marry me? No. What if I grab you by the hair and drag you down this hill, face first, in the lava rock, and then when we're down at the bottom, I'll come back and I'll do it again, and I want to torture you with that for as long as you live. How about then? Then would you marry me? Now you're talking to me, Rich. Now I'll marry you. That's how absurd it is to think that God wants to threaten us into submission. 
But you know, sometimes children get rebellious. And so you do have to threaten them a little bit, don't you? And I think God's done that in certain ways, in certain instances. Sometimes you have to take drastic measures, and we'll talk about that. But is the message emanating from God's throne to his damaged, sick, and broken children, learn of my ways or I will torture you forever and ever and ever and ever? Is that the message? That's the message I've heard. Have you heard that message? When you put it that way, is it a little bit disturbing? It is very disturbing. But basically, when we call God a torturer, that's the option. You either love me or I'll torture you. Does that make sense? That is why in Greek, the devil was given the name Diablos, the slanderer. In Hebrew, it is Satan, the adversary. In Greek, Diablos is the slanderer. But what was the instrument of the devil's slandering of God? What means did he use in order to convince humanity, in order to pervert human thought? He used theology. What is theology? The study of God, religion, okay? He first introduced a slight alteration in theology, which, when it was accepted, he managed to increase more and more to degree, to the degree that Christianity became completely unrecognizable. Do you perceive the devil's slander of our all-loving, all-kind, and absolutely good God? That is why, in Greek, the devil was given the name Diablos, the slanderer. For evidence of this, when Jesus came, he had a problem with who when he came? The religious leaders of the day, did he not? The ones who were teaching the theology, no? They were called Pharisees, right? They didn't have it right about God. And so what did he say to them? He said, you are children of your father, the devil. He's speaking to religious leaders. And who is he saying they are children of? The devil, the slanderer. He says, you are spreading lies about my father. You are slandering his name. He's not speaking to some pagans. It's the religious leaders of the day that he's speaking to. You want to follow your father's desires from the very beginning. He was a murderer and has never been on the side of what? Truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he is only doing what is natural to him because he is a liar and the father of how many lies? All lies. This God is an offended and angry God, full of wrath for the disobedience of men, who desires in his destructive passion to torment all humanity unto eternity for their sins, unless he receives an infinite satisfaction for his offended pride. What is salvation for this theology? Is it not salvation from the wrath of God? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, look what it says. It says, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So there's wrath to come, but what is it? What is this wrath? You want to know what this wrath to come is. I'm very interested in it because I have a problem with that other picture of 
God that was just painted. Are you with me? Yes. When the disciples were sitting in Matthew 24 on the Mount of Olives, they were asking Jesus, when would the end times come? And Jesus gave a whole list of things that were going to take place. And among that list, he said at the end, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached where? Where? In all the world. And what happens right then? Then the end will come. Gospel preached where? All the world, and then the end will come. Now, when he was about ready to be caught up in Acts chapter 1, they also asked him again, when will the kingdom be restored? And what did he say? You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto, both, unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and, also, and in Samaria and where else? And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Is that all the world? Okay. So that he said the end is going to, the kingdom is going to be restored and the end will come when the gospel goes where? To all the world. Okay. Now, let's go to the book of Revelation. In Revelation 14, 6, we're going to see something really, really interesting. We're going to see the fulfillment of what he was talking about. Notice what John saw in vision, okay? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Is anybody left out? That's all the world, right? Is this the end of time, what John sees right here? This is the end of time, okay? Notice something else in Revelation 14, 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the what? Hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So it's judgment. The gospel's gone to all the world and it's judgment. What does that mean? The end is come, right? Okay, let's go farther. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This is in the Bible. He will be tormented in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receiveth the mark of his name. Has he got your attention? Good, because that's what that's designed for. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. There it is. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ and the holy angels are in charge of hell. We're done, right? Okay. We'll look a little more closely at it. Why is the message so fearsome? Why is the language so scary? Why is God taking a risk that he might be misunderstood right here? 
why does it seem like the language is so scary and loud? When we went to Hawaii, we went to, and Susan will help me, we were on the big island, and we went to, I'm not going to try to name the volcano, but we went up to, it, to the volcano, and it was actually misty and raining, so you couldn't see very well. And we went to the place where the, the uh, steam comes out. I got real inquisitive, and they got, they got this cable, and behind the cable there's the vents, and behind that is the rim of the volcano. Now, we were with the Macintosh, Macintosh family, and they had the four little kids. And it was, it was real rainy and wet and slippery and kind of a miserable day. And we walked over there, and then, of course, naturally, I went inside the cable and went over to the edge. But what do the kids want to do when I do that? Same thing. And I looked, and I saw those kids coming through the cable, heading over. And I'm standing on the rim of that volcano, and you look down, straight down, 200 feet, straight down. I mean, if you, if, and if you're a little child walking in those weeds and you make one extra step, you're gone. And I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I stopped those kids, but if one of those kids would have been walking for that cliff, I would not have cared how bad I hurt their feelings, how much I confused them. I would have tackled, yelled, screamed. I would have done anything I could have to keep those, those child from going over that edge. This is God's last message to planet Earth. He's really trying to get your attention. And maybe some people have got him confused a little bit, with, and, but maybe a little bit of tough love right here might work. So, I mean, remember in the first meeting when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and we talked about when God warned them don't go near the tree. Don't partake of the tree. And we asked the question, was that a threat or was it a warning? Is this a threat or a warning? This is God's last message to planet Earth. And it's a real, real scary message. But you know what? It's a warning. He doesn't want us going into the volcano. Now, in the book of Matthew... The Bible talks about people that know the Lord or think they know the Lord, and yet they don't. It says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, do they, are they talking to him? They believe in him, right? They're speaking to him, right? Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Lord, we believed in you. We did all kinds of wonderful what? Works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What's iniquity? Lawlessness. Iniquity is an attitude of of rebellion, lawlessness, okay? Depart from me. I never knew you for who you said you were, okay? So these people have thought all along they were working for Christ. But he says, no, your works are lawless. You work iniquity. But we know you, Lord. I'm sorry. Your works are lawless. 
where would Jesus go to show these people that their works were not so wonderful? He's got to have proof, does he not? These people say, Lord, haven't we done wonderful things for you? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Where would they go to find that out? What is the context again of Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7? The hour of his judgment has come. Okay? Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. So just before this horrific warning, God says his judgment has come. So let's go to judgment. Now the judgment, we're not going to go into this real deep and get in the weeds. I just want to let you know the judgment has three phases. Number one, it has a pre-advent judgment. Before Jesus comes, he needs to know who he's getting. Make sense? Number two, there is a millennial judgment that is during the thousand years and that is when everybody gets settled in and finds out who's going go to go who goes to heaven and who doesn't. They got to make sure that God has done His job right. It's not for God; it's for everybody else, all of His created beings to be settled in. And of course, the last one is the white throne judgment, and that is the judgment of the wicked after the millennial. So these people don't have wonderful works. So what judgment should we go to? The white throne judgment. Are you with me? Their works are not wonderful. These are lost people. So we're going to go to the white throne judgment. And I saw a great white throne. Are we at the white throne judgment? Okay. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the what? Books were opened. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the what? Book of life. So we have books and we have a book. Right? We have books and we have a book. Okay? First, let's find out what the book is. And there shall, we want to find out what's in the book, okay? And there shall be in no wise enter it in anything that defileth, speaking of heaven, Neither whatsoever worketh an abomination or make a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what's written in the Lamb's book of life? Names are written in that book. They which are written in the Lamb's book. So there's names in the book. Everybody with me? Now we're going to find out what's in the books. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened... The other book was the book of life, which are in names. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So what's in the books? Works. What's in the book? Names. Why are they opening the book and the books? And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. How long do you think it would take 
to go over someone's entire life. These are people that work iniquity. They're lost. They're gone. Can you imagine day after day? How long would it take? All the while knowing that their names are not written in the book. That's why the book is opened, to show them their name is not there. And so the other books are open. And Jesus says, we have to go through this. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. It doesn't say by the holy angels and the Lamb. It says in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. In the presence. And the smoke of their torment doesn't say they are tormented forever. It says the smoke goes up forever. Do I love my neighbor? Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose and this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God. If you or someone you know is living in addiction captivity and having trouble finding God, Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that God does work miracles. They've created a seven-step, biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook for yourself or someone you know, just give them a call and they'll send it to you. 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com Thank you for listening and remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.